All right, all right, all right. Welcome back to the Misfit Nation. Last episode, we got to hear from Paul Makowitz and spoke about his journey to get where he is today. It was a great discussion, and we look forward to talking to him again on another episode. Thanks for being on, Paul, and keep us posted on your ventures in the future. As you know, in life, we are thrown obstacles. We have to move with purpose through them in order to keep pushing forward. When we make decisions, it is not something that should be taken lightly. You must own it. Our parents, when we were growing up, told us, it is your bed, you have to sleep in it. This equated to, if you decide to be with someone, you are the one who has to wake up with them. If you do something that is against the law, you must pay the piper. And if your decisions affect others, you must be prepared for that as well. When I was moving from Korea through Fort Campbell and into Kandahar, Afghanistan in 2010, we had to go to many briefs. Our days were filled with training on weapons, first aid, culture, etc. One day we had to sit in a briefing from the division leadership. One of them started out with his introduction and how long he has been on base, how long he's been in service, along with how many deployments to combat he had. He then said something that resonated to many of us who had been in combat before. He said, you may may be gone for 52 weeks or 365 days. You may go on 365 patrols and most of it will be forgotten by the world. Your decisions in the heat of a moment may last forever in people's minds, but may have only been a 30 second snapshot of your life. So 30 seconds can change everything that happens in your life. This stuck with me as I got on my journey from Campbell to Germany to one stand and finally to Afghanistan. It made me consciously think through the third order effects of a simple decision. No, it did not take me a ton of time to process during the heat of a moment. It was like a computer running numbers just in my brain housing unit. I was also fortunate enough to be with a great platoon of soldiers. Only wanted to be successful and to make a difference. We were supported by a great leadership team who provided us with what we needed to maintain throughout. Each moment in the heat of the situation stacks to the next. And if you stop and look around a little bit, you may see the fruits of your labor happening right there in front of you, like a big picture. On this show, we have a great guest. He's also a friend of ours who we had the honor of meeting a few years ago. Dave Sanderson is the president of his firm, Dave Sanderson Speaks International based out of Charlotte, North Carolina. On January 15th, 2009, Dave was one of the last passengers off the plane that crashed into the Hudson River, best known as the Miracle on the Hudson. Considered to be the most successful ditching in aviation history, he has built a career as a motivational speaker, mentor, and author, recently named one of the top 100 leadership speakers in Inc.com. Dave averages over 80 speeches a year for major corporations across the world. So without further ado, let's get Dave onto the show. Well, welcome you to the show, Dave, and uh, let's get into this. So, All right. So I, like I said, I think we met in 2017 in Clarksville, and yep. I, I thought your story there was amazing. I was Thank there. I was able to flip your slides for you and help you out with your slideshow that day. Yep. So I got to actually read every slide before you got to 
present it and, and see the audience reaction and how they were engaged with it. And it was a very engaging uh, story that you told them. So if you'd like to. So you should be able to give it for me now then, right? Say again. You should be able to give it for me. It's now, been a few right? years, but uh, I know a little bit of it. <laughs> and uh, I always tell people that some people look at things a lot different than others as uh, they go through a challenging part of their life. Some people see it as they, that mountain's too high to get over, where some people can just take that little step over that, the curb and say, I made it and I can get to something better. And that's what I think your story tells people. And I'd love you to share it with the audience. Well, thank you. Thank you very, very much. I appreciate it. So if you'd like to just share some of that story from uh, prior to what you did, uh, a little bit about what you did before the, the actual incident on the Hudson, and then, of course, the miracle on the Hudson forward. Yeah, I appreciate that. So, uh, yeah, I um, so a little bit of background. I was in at that point in time, I was a sales representative or an account manager or sales manager, whatever my title was for a company by the name of Oracle and traveled extensively uh, for my job. I was in, responsible for the consumer package goods industry section in the southeast. So I traveled primarily the southeast or companies that were based in the southeast, probably better say it. And that week. Um, that happened on the week of January 15th. I started that week on Tuesday in a place called Sarasota, Florida. And we basically hooked up with management to head north to a manufacturing plant in a place called Petersburg, Virginia. And that Wednesday afternoon, we packed up and headed north because we were going to be in a distribution center in Brooklyn, New York the next day. And uh, and I can tell people, you heard me say, you know, distribution centers open up very early in the morning. So we start our day very early. Uh, that day started for us at 5 o'clock a.m. Um, so our day got done because the trucks in the distribution center got done with their routes and picking up and uh, ready to go at uh, by 10 o'clock. So we were done by 10. So I was scheduled to leave on the 5 o'clock flight home. But uh, now I have the opportunity to get home early. So I called the travel agent and worked with her. And. She put me on flight U.S. Airways flight fifteen forty nine, the Miracle on the Hudson. I wasn't scheduled to be on that flight, so I um, I think I was there for a reason. I, the more longer time passes, I it becomes more evident to me that I was there for a reason. And um, as we know the story, the uh, uh, shortly after takeoff, approximately sixty to seventy seconds after takeoff, is when a simultaneous bird hit strike on both engines knocked out both engines at the exact same second which I tell people is uh, that's the one in a billion odds right there. Because as we know, recently, Rich, there's you know, half, in fact, it happened yesterday on the West coast. That's another bird strike hit the plane and, uh, but it took out only one inch. And so the plane got back to the airport uh, easily. So unfortunately ours was not like that. And uh, the plane was disabled. So uh, as the plane was banking, um, I, I looked out the window cause I was a C 15 a and you know, Saw the skyline of Manhattan up close and personal, and I can tell people I've never seen a skyline of Manhattan like that. That definitely, uh, that definitely got my attention. And as we uh, started proceeding down the river and descending very rapidly, uh, a bridge started coming up, and now we know that's the George Washington Bridge. And um, as we were crossing over the bridge, is when we heard the only words we heard the entire time on this flight: "This is your captain, brace for impact." That's when I knew it was serious, a very serious situation because we only cleared the bridge by approximately 400 feet. Wow. And as we crossed over, I looked out my window. You could actually see the people's faces looking up from the cars on the bridge. So 
it was very close, but you know, about 60 seconds after we crossed over the bridge when we crashed into the river. And you know, there's a lot of terms for ditching, water landing. But when you're in the middle of a plane that's going um, head first into the river and it hits hard, I think most passengers would call it a crash. Yes, sir. Um, you can call it whatever you want. I call it a crash because it was a hard hit. But fortunately for me, as we know, I mean, I'll, yeah, we survived the hit, but now you got the other problem. And you being in the military, you understand this. You know, when one problem solves itself, the other another problem comes up. It just doesn't. Things just don't stop. So it's uh, now we're in the water. The back end of the plane is already submerged. Water's coming in. Where I'm sitting, water was about knee deep immediately. And now you got to get out of a sinking plane because it's going down quickly. And so, you know, things were moving very quickly. And by the time I got my time to the aisle, uh, you know, I was ready to get out. My game plan, and I tell people my process, because I, I talk about this uh, a lot, Rich, the process saves lives. You better have a process. Uh, and a game plan. And my process was aisle up out. I just kept saying aisle up out, aisle up out. So I knew my game plan. But when I got to the aisle, that changed very quickly because I heard my mom, who had passed away in 1997, start talking in my head. And what I heard her tell me in my head was, if you do the right thing, God will take care of you. And I tell, after after thinking about that for several years, I started thinking about, one of the things about my mom, she never told me what to do. She made me make a choice. And I, I tell people, I think one of the biggest gifts my parents gave me is they, when I was a young child, and they did this for all, all of my sister and brother likewise, they made us make choices and live to the consequences of those choices. And I think one of the failings I've had as a parent, and I know, I'm sure other people have, at least I'll, I'll claim it myself, is I have not made my kids make those kind of decisions early in life. Uh, and so, unfortunately, hopefully it doesn't, they don't suffer from it. But fortunately for me, my mom made us make decisions, have consequences, because now i got to make a decision. Do I get out or do I do what I think was best is help other people who may need help? So that's why I climbed over the seats to the back of the plane and see if anybody needed help. And things were moving pretty quickly back there. Things, I mean, it was you're already underwater, so water's about waist to chest level deep. But now, you're, now things are rolling because that's where the brunt of the hit was at the back of the plane. So Bins had broken open, luggage is floating around, you're waist deep plus in water, and it's 36 degree water, and now you got to get out. And I'm just making my way out like everybody else. And the first light that I saw was on the right side of the plane at exit 10F. And I'm like, I'm out of here, game over, I'm out. And when I started looking out, I saw something that was an amazing sight. There was their wing was already filled up, and the boat was already filled up, but people were already being rescued. And I tell people, I think that's that's one of the saving graces. It's amazing how in the last in two, three minutes, how quickly first responders were there to start helping people. But I'm still in the plane and things are happening. And, you know, I, I looked out and you know, I was waist deep level, 36 degree water. And I saw a lady standing in the middle of the wing. She wasn't moving. So I started yelling at her. And, you know, because that's the training that I've had is when you have somebody in that startled or locked situation, you got to do something radical to break them out of it. So I started yelling and got her attention and somebody, some lady picked, grabbed her hand and pulled her on the lifeboat. And she's now, now people are walking down a wing, but I'm still in the plane because there's still no room to get out. But then I felt the plane shift a couple minutes later, it was about six or seven minutes at that point, felt the plane shift. And I found out later what happened was one of the tugboats that was part of the rescue hit the front of the plane as he was backing out, which shook the plane. And that's the moment I felt water go up my back. I'm like, 
man, this thing's going down. It's like Titanic, man. Do not be stuck in a plane. You're going down. Get, you got to get out of here right now. So that's when I started. I jumped in the water, started swimming to the closest boat that I could find. And I tell folks that that was the longest 10-yard swim of my life uh, because not only was the water 36 degrees, and I had been in the water 36 degrees for a stint amount of time already, but the air temperature was 11 degrees. And as important, if not more important, there's oil and fuel in the water. And that's why now I wear glasses. I got, I got jet fuel in my eyes as I was swimming. But I got there. And now you got now it's like, okay, what do you do now? Right? You're the bottom of the ferry. You're, st- you're bobbing in the water. What are you doing now? And fortunately for me, when I yelled up, they yelled at me and I yelled at them. Two guys reached down and grabbed me and threw me over the side of the ferry. And that's how I got out of the water. And I thought, well, I made it, man. I made it. But I didn't because that was my moment because now – as you know, once again, being in the military, you're on go. I do a lot of with law enforcement first responders and military. You're on go. You got the adrenaline. You're right in the middle of the game. But when the game's over, all that adrenaline goes. And I had no energy left, and I was so cold. Like I said, water temperature 36. Been in there for over seven minutes. Air temperature is 11. I can barely breathe. Unfortunately, someone had an iPhone and. Got called my uh, I got they got gave him a number, called my house, and that's how my family been found out that I've been in uh, been in a plane crash, but that's all I could get out. And then I went to New Jersey, and fortunately for me, there were Red Cross volunteers. And when we got there, there was a gentleman with a Red Cross blanket, and that's why, as you know, I speak nationally for the American Red Cross because they were there. And there were there were two groups that touched everybody that day: the, the ferries, the waterways, and the Red Cross. Those are the two groups touch every one of us. There are other many other groups that touch all, some of us. They touched all of us, and that's uh, that's how I got uh, got back to shore, Rich. And uh, as you know, the rest of the story. I I had hypothermia. I stayed the night in the hospital because I had hypothermia, and um, right. and you know I was one of two people out of twenty one people went to the hospital. One hundred fifty passengers, twenty one people went to the hospitals. Three of us went to Pal- to Palisades in Jersey. Two of us stayed the night. And I was one of the two that stayed tonight because of my condition. Because uh, my condition was not good when I got to the hospital. And it took them five hours to get me stabilized. So um, so that's uh, that's a little bit about my story. That's awesome, Dave. Uh, and I had wrote, I wrote down the other day when the Utah Jazz's plane actually got diverted for hitting the bird strike. Right. I'm going to talk to Dave about that. And you brought it up right away. So Yep. I watch everything. I see all – I watch all this stuff, man. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the decision-making thing, my dad taught us that same thing. You got If you make your bed, you got to sleep, and that's what he used to tell us. So whatever your decision you make, you have to live with it yep. the next day. It's your life, and that's I think that's the mindset of our, our parents' generation was to teach us that as we that's went. Right. And so say I probably did not do that well with my daughter, making her make decisions on her own because we were always there making sure she didn't fall. That's right. But and uh, I think uh, a lot of parents uh, had that little hiccup now with our generation of letting them not fall to make sure they have success without the stumbling. But I think that kind of handcuffs them as they go forward. I agree. I think right now, especially in this last year, with not only the COVID situation, but the social justice questions, the election situations going on, all these things are stacking. And many people who are a younger generation who've never had to face adversity or challenges um, and have consequences for them are struggling. And I think that's part of the issue I'm seeing and, it's all the people I talk to around the country and in and the, and the world right now. 
definitely. It's definitely it's a it goes into a upbringing and mindset. And last year, really, no matter how strong you were, you were you were challenged last year, uh, and even into this year, it's still depending on uh, where you sat coming into this year, you had some challenges. And some people still have those challenges because they don't want to accept things. That's right. Sometimes you got to accept the things you can't control and live your life and drive forward. And that's not something a lot of people can do right now. And I'm waiting for that that uh, aha moment for a lot of people, I guess, right now to say, I can still live my life no matter what happened in on Pennsylvania Avenue. That doesn't matter really in my my little scope. Of life. Nope. Nope. You got to live with the situation you're handed. And that's what's uh that's why I say I tell people, Rich, I think last year was a lot like a plane crash because it happened. You didn't cause it, but you got to deal with it. You have to deal with it, and you better have the mindset to be able to deal with it. Definitely. And there's a, it's definitely not something we caused, but That's right. we had to put your big boy pants on and, and work That's through right. it. And a lot of people were able to, and, of course, there are some people that are still struggling. That's correct. So who would you uh, – uh, I guess, attribute your strong mindset to? I know you mentioned your parents. Uh, was there anyone else that helped you develop your mindset? Well, that's what my, thank you, because that's, that's what my third book is all about. Um, because I, what I found as I was writing my third book, I was really initially writing my third book about uh, my mentor, Bill, who in 1984 took me on for 13 to 14 years, taught me the, the, those, those mindset of success. and Because he was uh, somebody who, uh, fortunately for him, had a mentor in 1929, who taught the, him this, and he built a, I would, I call it an empire. He would not have never called it this, uh, an empire of movie, <laughs> what he would call movie houses and restaurants, during the Great Depression. And he owned over between from that time in 1929 to the time he uh, passed away in 1977, owned over 80 movie theaters and uh, restaurants. So, I had a mentor who was teaching me these things from some back in the back in the time where. You're going through a world war and a depression and he still succeeded with that mindset. So, uh, but as I was writing this rich, what I really realized is my mother who taught me really taught me the same things when I grew up, but I wasn't listening. You know, I, I, I knew him. Right. But when Bill said it, it brought a different perspective. He, he, he taught him by taught me by way of stories. And this is what my book's about. But what I also realized after that, after he passed away, fortunately for me, another mentor came in, and just because I was a head of security for Tony Robbins, he took me on and he gave me distinctions on top of those insights, on top of those lessons that my mother taught me. So I've been very fortunate to put me around people who who could help me develop the, the, the mindset of not only success, but a strong mindset. So when I face something, I, uh, I know that uh, I know how to really put the mindset together and how to grow out of a tra- traumatic life experience instead of going to regress. Awesome. And those are all great people that you had in your, I guess, in your corner or as you step forward in your, now they're in your yep. toolbox. So they're, they're always there for you. So that's, that's amazing to have that. So I know you, you actually speak to first responders and you get to speak to a lot of people. Uh, I'm not sure if you're still doing 80 speeches a year around the country. Not last year. Or not last year. Not last before year. that, yes, I was <laughs> averaging over 80 until last year. Okay. So, I mean, if you could sit with a group of service members who are struggling with their uncertainty, the uncertainty that comes with transition out of the service, what would you share to help them strengthen their mindset? This can also relate to many other fellow Americans who have struggled throughout the last year with that whole change that happened. Well, I appreciate that question because now three years ago now, I had the 
privilege and honor to speak at uh, McDill Air Force Base for 19,000 service people. Um, and I was very honored to be able to do that. All branches, um, as you know, in the military are represented at McDill. And my talk was about post-traumatic growth syndrome, how to grow out, out of traumatic life events. And that's what the colonel in charge asked me to speak about. So I shared, you know, I, she gave me 15 minutes, so I couldn't get it all in. But I shared a couple of different strategies. And one of the things that I shared, not only with them, but I share now on every talk that I give, because now my talk's called From Turmoil to Triumph, is that the meaning you attach to something produces the emotion of your life. So whatever meaning you attach to something is the emotion, and that emotion is your life. And that's what I think right now where people are struggling is because they you can you can you can assign any meaning to anything and, and it changes how you feel and or look at things. And that really came to I mean I knew it, but uh it really came to life for me when I was in the green room at Good Morning America a few years ago with other passengers and the crew. And one gentleman went into a rage. He just started going off and you know, I was like, what's wrong with this guy, right? I mean, we're on national TV and we survived a plane crash. How how bad could I get? But he associated the plane crash to devastation. And he, he oh. and why, why he did that, I found out later. This also helped me make some changes in my life is that, uh, you know, he, he was going through a divorce and he lost his job. Well, see, I associated that same experience to blessing. I saw it as a blessing. I start thinking, is this if you could if I could help people reframe their meanings, how could that change the direction of their life? And that's what I started doing. And that's why I did my TED talk called Bouncing Back Post-Traumatic Growth Syndrome. And that's what what she asked me to speak about to these military, all these service people from all these different branches, because they all they're all going through something. And she wanted me to really share with them strategies on not only when they get out, but if they're what they're struggling with right now and some things they could do immediately to impact the direction of their life. So I would say that's one thing that I, I would, I share now. I started sharing really three or four years ago. I did my Ted talk, but uh, especially right now that we're going through all these challenges with, with the pandemic and social justice and all these things, but you know, if you can, ta- if you can reframe the meaning, you can change the direction of where you're thinking and change the direction of where you're going to go. And right now, so many people are dug in as we know, whether you're, I don't care if you're, you're red, you're blue, you're pink, you're black. I don't care what you are. People have, if you go into that judgment, uh, that thought process, unless you change that meaning, you're not going to be building relationships and not be able to get through the situation uh, the way that you'd be most effective way for you to do it. Absolutely. That's well put. And I, I, like you said, I think a lot of people have dug their trench right now and it's hard to get them to yep. come out of it at, after, I guess, 12, 13 months now or whatever it is, 12, 13 months of constant, constant struggle for them. So we already still, we know you have a strong relationship with the American Red Cross. Are there any other uh, nonprofit organizations which you have strong ties to or love their mission? Yeah, general? thank you for asking. I, yeah, I do love the Red Cross because, you know, I love their mission. But over this last year, I've been, um, I did a, a talk for the Alzheimer's Association. And one of the reasons I did that is my dad, had Parkinson's and Alzheimer's and passed away. And I was approached by somebody else here locally in Charlotte, North Carolina, whose mother is going through that right now. And she introduced me to the Alzheimer's Association. So yes, I, I have a passion to be able to help and support them likewise, because there's so many people struggling with this right now. And more importantly, it wasn't for them. It was for the caregivers. 
who are struggling because the challenge I found out as I was doing my work and speaking for them is they go in and they're serving at the highest level. It's like but the person that did with who supported my dad till he passed away. But then they have to go home. And how do they deal with it at home? And that's that. So that's one of the, one of the missions I have right now is help these caregivers, these nurses and other caregivers uh, with Alzheimer's to uh, be able to go home with a life and understand there is they, 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 there is other meanings to what they're doing. And there's a bigger meaning if they can look at it as gratitude, uh, they can uh, they won't have they can lessen the opportunity to have challenges when they go home. Right. Some, some kind of a, a break in a break in their mind before yep. going home. I used to call it unwinding when I'd leave work at, yep. in the army. I'd like I take the long way home so I'd get everything out of me before I got home, and then I'd be home instead of being still at work at home I, to try to be present. In my same here, Rich. Because I one of the reasons people ask me why I, I had I took the here <laughs> my first sales job or second sales job took the area of South Carolina because I had I could drive at least sixty minutes and have my time to de, you know come down deflate right uh and, and when i got home at least i could have my my brain semi-cleared right so definitely and by that time you're only mad at traffic yeah, exactly as i was before mobile or, or car phones that we used to call them so you couldn't even get on the phone right right yeah you you're popping dimes exactly. as you stopped right so you know you know <laughs> yeah telling everyone their number that's one right. as you're driving so i mean that's I see you speak about uh, entrepreneurship. My last uh, few episodes have been with uh, young veterans that have uh, transitioned from service. Some are still serving and starting businesses. What advice would you give to others that are starting or making that uh, decision to start a business? Yeah, that, that's a great. I'm glad you're doing that because, you know, I, when I did that back in 2014, uh, I thought that I knew what I was doing. Um, and I, you know, there's a lot of aspects to starting your own business and being an entrepreneur mindset. And I, one thing I did really well, because I came out of 30 plus years of sales, I could sell, but I couldn't figure out the other stuff. So, um, you know, I struggled and I'm going to be very candid. It was, I, I didn't put my game plan in all across the board, but fortunately for me, uh, I have my new mentor, well, I'm not new, he's been around now four or five years. His name's Don. Don is a serial entrepreneur in Atlanta. And Don taught me, is taught me, is teaching me still the mindset of entrepreneurship where you, you know, you, you don't take things personally, right? You persevere and you, you do it, but if you fail, you're going to fail, let it roll off your back. Don't worry about it. And we'll figure something else out. And that was where I was struggling is, you know, I would, it's like, I'm doing the right things, but man, I'm getting behind financially. And, you know, I'm not, I got to pay the bills and this and that. And I, and, I, and all of a sudden he sort of gave me the mindset on how to, you know, put, put the structure together, but more importantly, don't let it get to you. Let it roll off your back. Do something else. Great entrepreneurs and say, you know what? I failed this. I'll do something else. Right? I think if I'm, right. If I'm, and I do coach entrepreneurs. I tell them that right now. I'll give them the lessons I learned uh, because a lot of people right now, Rich, I'm talking to, want to get out, of the, especially this last year, want to get out of the corporate life and do what I'm doing. And they think it's just easy. You can transition out. But as you know, going from the corporate world or the army or structure for 30 years, now you're on your own. Uh, it takes a different mindset, right? And like right now, I'm yeah. sitting in my office now. I've been, we all been in our office for the last 13 months. I still get dressed up every day to come to the office, right? There's a mindset, and yeah. so yeah, I would tell entrepreneurs is get your game plan together, get your processes put in place, have your structure, but don't be afraid to fail because you will fail, 
and make sure you you surround yourself with mentors in all different areas. That's, that's one of the things I talk about. You got to have mentors in all different areas of your life because when one's going pretty well, all of a sudden you're making a lot of money, your relationships are going down the tube. So you right. better have mentors in all these aspects. That's one of the coach, things I coach entrepreneurs about. Don't just worry about the business and financial. It's it, you, it's the home front likewise and, and other things you got to deal with likewise. You got to, you got to have that uh, kind of work-life balance and mentorship as well. That's right. So you have like you have Don to be your mentor now uh, with your with the entrepreneurship, but there's also someone that's out there telling you, "Hey, you might want to do this uh, X better for your family or for you." Well, that's personally. a great, great point, Rich. Because right for the the year before the pandemic, I took for the first time I had two of my mentors. I took them to the Atlanta Braves Cincinnati Reds baseball game in Atlanta, uh, and another f- close friend of mine who uh, in Atlanta, and I, I had two mentors together. And what was amazing, having them in the same place, number one, it was the energy was amazing. And I talk about this in my book. But what was interesting is hearing them banter back and forth because one was more around relationships and spiritual, and Don was a business and entrepreneur. And it was an amazing interaction. So I learned so much of sitting there at the ball game, listening to the two mentors talk back and forth. So, right. you know, I, I tell people, yeah, I, I'm, I, if you read my book, you'll understand why you better – if you want to grow, you need to have mentors in your life. That's awesome. That's great advice right there. All right. So when you are not motivating people to be the best versions of themselves in whatever area you're motivating them in, what hobbies do you have or what is your favorite me time activity? Well, I, and I do this every day. I've, and I, I, I've got, I've got to do something physical because, you know, your state management, why you manage your mind all starts with the, your physiology. So, you know, I want to get back in the, I, I was, you know, before all this stuff happened, I was playing golf and having some me time like that. But now I haven't played golf in like two and a half years. So right now it's just, I go out and I work out or I walk. I just, I need to be moving my body because especially right now is we're all locked in our offices. You know, I mean, this is, this is crazy. So I get up at four, four fifteen in the morning and spend an hour and a half moving my body. So I'm ready to rock and roll today. So I would just say right now, that's my me time. Because you know, right now it's hard to you can't go to the movies and it's hard to get a golf game because some of the golf courses aren't open and so that's what I do. And we we just went and got a Peloton, so now we challenge each other on that. Yeah, my daughter got day. one. My daughter who got who just graduated from college got a Peloton. It's in the house. I don't touch it. Yeah, yeah I don't touch <laughs> it. I don't want I don't want her to yell at me for touching it in Peloton. So you know. <laughs> We, we use it as a, a the one-upsmanship, basically. I do that X amount of miles, then she tries to beat me or vice versa. So it's it's a mental game between the two of us. And like you said, when you get up in the morning and you get that body moving, that's better than a cup of coffee because you get everything inside you is going, and then you can sit down and have your cup of joe and get going. Yep. Dave, uh, what's the name of your new book? I know you have two of them listed on yep. your website. You said you have the new one coming out on mine. So what's the name of that well, we're actually re- reworking it right now. We're re-editing it because I'm adding in some additional content. But the book that I, I published back in November is called God Gives You the Lesson When You Are Ready. Um, okay. but we're reworking it, and we're going to look at a different perspective uh, because I'm actually put that to the side right now. And my fourth book, which I'm writing right now, is called From Turmoil to Triumph. Okay. Awesome. And if someone wants to get in touch with you to say do a podcast like I'm doing with you, or to even just have you come speak to their organization, how would they go about and do it? Well, that? thank you. If 
I th- I think best way to do that is just uh, if you email me at Dave at DaveSandersonSpeaks.com. That goes to my chief of staff, as you got to interact with Rich Colleen. She manages my calendar and my team. Uh, or the other way is I put new content out every week um, on LinkedIn. So I tell people, interact with me on LinkedIn at Dave, Dave Sanderson, uh, or I think it's David Sanderson on LinkedIn, to be very candid. On LinkedIn, message me, excuse me, message me, and I will be back with you very quickly because I want to make sure people are, get to hear my new content. Uh, it's uh, And this is the content that my mentors have given me, and now I'm packaging it up and putting it out in bite-sized pieces for so every every week people get a piece of what uh, I was so honored to have over the last uh, 40 years. Awesome. Well, Dave, it's been great having you on here. Great catching up with you again after a few years. Hopefully we don't take this long in between next time. Uh, and hopefully we don't have a, a major event between us in the, in the world that slows everyone down from actually getting out and seeing yep. each other between our next connection. Is there any parting words you want to say for the audience before you check out? Well, I think right now, and this is the sort of thing that I'm leaving with people right now is, you know, one of the challenges people are having, and once again, I've talked about this in this last year, is that, you know, people are so dug in, they seem to need to have to be do be right instead of doing the right thing. And, you know, as you've heard my story, I, you know, the right thing for me was, you know, to take care of other people. If I, if I could just impart one thing with people and I do is stop needing to be right every time and focus on doing the right thing. Check your ego with the door because sometimes other people actually have some good ideas and or can execute more effectively than you can. And it's more important to do the right thing than needing to be right. Outstanding. Again, Dave, thanks for coming on. Thanks for taking time, some of your time to spend with us. Well, thank you very much too. And take care of your family and that daughter and uh, hopefully our paths will cross in, in central Tennessee sometime and hopefully in the near future. Outstanding. That'd be great. All right, All right Dave. Thank you very one. much. Take care. Bye-bye. Wow. Every time I listen to Dave speak, I get motivated. His story is amazing. Coupling that with his passion to help others, you can't help but get pumped up. I hope you have as well. Make sure you connect with Dave via LinkedIn to follow what he is doing and get in contact with him. On our next episode, we will have Andrew Jones. He is a Marine Corps vet and a friend who has been on a pretty amazing journey to get him where he is today. I hope you tune in to listen to my brother speak. Thanks for taking some of your time to spend with us on The Misfit Nation. Be sure to hit that subscribe button and share the link as much as possible. We appreciate you. As always, till next time, be humble, stay hungry, and keep hustling, because we are the Misfit Nation.